Well, today being Mother's Day, I'd like to give you all a homily about my mother. About your mother, too. And yours. I'm going to give a homily on Mother Church. So if we'll take note of our gospel, the Lord says, he's praying to the Father, and he says, Holy Father, I pray not only for them. He's speaking about the apostles. Okay, so Jesus is praying for the apostles. But I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word, through the word of the apostles, so that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. This here, if we notice, actually has, it's, it's about the church. And it has the four marks of the church. Four marks of the church being apostolic. The church is apostolic. So Jesus is praying for the apostles and he's praying for all of those who are going to believe through the word and through the preaching of the apostles. So that the apostles and all those who believe because of their preaching would be one. So the faith that is possessed by these people is apostolic in nature. And then, of course, there's the oneness. Church is one. There's a lot of emphasis on unity we hear in this passage. And it's Catholic. Jesus says in his prayer that they may all be one. And the, the note of Catholicity in the church has to do with, the, with everything, with all. There's an allness to the Catholic nature of the church. It's all peoples, all times, believing all things that Jesus has taught us. And then finally, there's holiness here. Jesus says in his prayer that they may also be in us. And it is our being grounded within the Trinity, within the relationship between the Father and the Son, that makes the church holy. Now, this is where the paradox comes in, because the church is full of sinners like me and like you, but yet the church is holy. How is that? How do we understand that? The church is holy, first of all, in her sacraments. And above all, because of the Eucharist, who is Jesus Christ, the Holy One. The church is holy in her doctrine and in her moral teaching. The church is holy also in her saints. There's other ways that she's holy, but those are the main ways. Now, I'll draw your attention to the image that I planted in your seats here. I don't know if I'm going to do this name justice here. If I spoke Polish, then probably be able to pronounce it better, but it's Our Lady of Czestochowa. That's how I understand you pronounce it. Our Lady of Czestochowa. So if you'll take this image up and you look at it here. I believe this, this image here has become for me uh, a very powerful symbol of the church and of the relationship between the church and Western civilization. When I speak about Western civilization, I mean basically Europe, and then also America, and as much as America was founded by Europeans, and probably most of us here, our blood can be traced back, at least somehow, to Europe. And the, uh, you know, when I was a child, I think I, I shared with you guys last summertime a little bit of my own personal story. When I was in my late teens, I, I strayed away from the church, and I started to identify with evangelical Christians. And then after many, many years, uh, after a few years, of study, 
I, I came back into full communion with the church. And uh, this image took upon itself a lot of meaning for me when I did that, when I came back into full communion with the church. When I was young, my mother, uh, being an art buff and a history buff, she'd always be taking her art books and like shoving them in my face and saying, hey, look at this old cathedral or this Byzantine art. Isn't this really cool? Isn't this really beautiful? As a child, I couldn't appreciate it. It kind of, they looked kind of creepy to me even. I didn't really get why she thought these were beautiful. But as I got older and my tastes came into alignment with objective standards of, of value and worth and beauty, I really did be able to see, like, you know, this is beautiful. All of this church stuff really is beautiful. And so the older I got, the smarter my mother got somehow. How did that work, right? Well, so this was one of the images she would show me. And when I came back into communion with the church, this, this had a lot of meaning for me. If you look on Our Lady's face, her right cheek, she's got these two slash marks. And, you know, what is that all about? If you notice, they're very faint. Okay, what are the slash marks all about? In the 15th century, this image was in, an, uh, in a monastery, and some marauders came into the monastery and looted it. And these were Hussite marauders, or Hussite raiders. The Hussites were a Christian group that had broken away from the church, and it was in rebellion against the church, and uh, started to deny various uh, truths that the church would teach. Um, and they also were called iconic, what you might call iconoclasts, meaning they hated images, religious art, all that kind of stuff. So one of the marauders took this image and threw it on the ground and pulled out his sword and slashed it once and then twice, and I guess the legend has it, right before he was about to do it a third time, he dropped dead. So uh, what else do we see here in this image? There's a very powerful passage from Scripture that also took a lot of meaning uh, upon itself for me when I returned back to full communion with the church. And uh, it's from the Song of Songs. It's from chapter 1, verse 4. And it says, uh, you know, at the literal level, this is a love affair between Solomon and this woman. And, uh, but it's always been understood in the history of Christianity that this is a prophetic foreshadowing of the relationship between the church and Jesus. And so the church and the person of this, this woman says, I am black but beautiful. I am black but beautiful. There's a paradox there. And that's why we can talk about the church being holy, but at the same time she's full of sinners. So she's black because we're sinners. All right? And our sins obscure the visage and the beauty of her face. But yet, look at the big picture. Look at She's beautiful. And she has Jesus Christ. She's holding Jesus. And she's pointing to Jesus. And like that Hussite who was, you know, striking her with his sword, many people, not just today, throughout the ages, are very angry at the Catholic Church. And their anger stems from the blackness that we can see on her face. It's not native to who she is. That blackness comes from the fact that she gathers to her bosom us sinners. There are many sins committed by both lay, clergy, Catholic princes and the history of the church, so forth and so on. And those blacken her visage and obscure her beauty. But you're missing the big picture when you get caught up in the blackness because she's got Jesus. She really is beautiful. And I began to see that the more that I studied. I started to see that the modern West is kind of like an angry sun 
who strikes at his mother and doesn't appreciate what he's got for her. He bears genetically from her, her intellect, her hands, her heart, and yet he doesn't acknowledge those gifts that he's received from her. So I quickly, I started studying the literature and I quickly came to realize that you can't understand European or American even literature without understanding Roman Catholicism. To understand contemporary literature, you've got to understand early modern and medieval literature. When you study early modern and medieval literature, it's completely unintelligible unless you understand Catholicism. And the impression that the undergraduate student gets when they start reading things like Shakespeare is like, this is a religion class. We can't, I can't even read two lines of this poetry without it referring to something religious, specifically Catholic. And, uh, there are many others. So basically, the intellectual heritage of the West comes from the Catholic Church. Uh, I also found it very ironic where here I am with my friends in the university and we're criticizing the church, but the irony of it is that the university itself is an institution founded by the Catholic Church. The fact that you can have these places that are completely dedicated to learning, to knowledge, to free inquiry, to the exercise of our reason and the investigation of various questions, that's something that comes from the Catholic Church. When it comes to, you know, I said this, this mother has bequeathed to her son not only his intellect but also his hands. I mean practically speaking. So in the area of law, in the area of morality, just war theory, international law, the fact that you can have this idea that there would be law that would govern nations together. Uh, it comes from the Catholic Church. It comes from theologians in the Catholic Church from the early modern era. Um, morality, human rights. Where does the whole concept of human rights come from? We don't acknowledge it, but it really co- it's a it's a pat- patrimony of the Catholic Church, okay. Uh, and also her heart. The mother has bestowed her heart upon this son. The modern world, hospitals, healthcare, charity, comes from the Catholic Church. The hospital, the whole idea, doesn't appear in other in pagan religions. You know, institute the whole institution dedicated to taking care of sick people, comes from ancient Catholics and their practice, and then uh, further developed in the Middle Ages. So, so health care, essentially, comes from the Catholic Church. And there's much, much more. That would be a whole other issue to kind of explore and, and see. But in any event, my own journey, I came to see that, like, me and my mom, I was reliving what the modern Western world had been doing in relation to the Church for the past 500 years and being kind of ungrateful, and not recognizing the beauty because they're getting caught up in the blackness that's over the face, and then starting to say, you know what, I contribute to that blackness. I'm part of the problem. So how about I start being part of the solution? How about I start living out that oneness, that Catholicity, and that holiness with which Jesus has endowed the church as an indefectible gift? How about I start actually actualizing that in my life? and start working for unity, and start building up the church, so that, as Jesus says, all may come to believe that God sent him.